We've been doing our study on the life of Moses, and I don't know that it will be quite as long tonight, because I want to stop where I stop and not get into the, the next section. But we looked last week, just to, so to remind everyone of what we talked about, we've been looking at all these plagues, right? God had his plan to bring his people, the Hebrews, out of slavery, out of Egypt, out of bondage, and he promised that he would do it. He promised 430 years before that he would do it. He raised up his man Moses to do it. So we're studying really the life of Moses, but you can't study the life of Moses without looking at the history of Israel at this time and how God used him. And so we've seen the growth, and we're going to continue to see the growth spiritually of this man. His character is being changed by the things that he goes through, by the adversities, by the rejection. When he goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, and Pharaoh slams the door in his face, basically it says, no, you people are too idle, get back to your work, and just making things harder. And it's like, okay, I thought God sent me to, you know, he was going to set his people free. What's going on here? Well, God used every one of those situations, I believe, in the lives of the Israelites, but we definitely see in the life of Moses that it caused him to become stronger. And there's the same for all of us in our lives. We're not just saved and every day is, is like we're floating on a cloud. Every day is obviously not like we're riding a rainbow and sliding down to, into a pot of gold at the bottom. It's not that way. Uh, some days are, are wonderful, but in all of it, we can have the joy of the Lord. In all of it, we can have peace with God. And in all of it, if we'll let it, God is at work. The Bible says he doesn't sleep or slumber, right? Jesus said, my father worketh hitherto and I work. He's talking about not just taking a break. He's working in the lives of people. He's work, working on the earth. And those that are saved, he's trying to make us more like Jesus. Those that are lost, he's, he's trying... Everything through the gospel and through circumstances, through other believers, to try to bring them and get their attention spiritually to wake them up, to say, you're a sinner in need of a Savior. There's a Savior that loves you. He's the only Savior. He died on the cross for your sins and rose again. He's here for you now. Mm -hmm. upon. Put your trust in Him. Give from this day forward like a wedding. Give your life to Him and let Him have it. He's so faithful. So he's working and, and he never rests. He doesn't sleep or slumber. And so we looked last week at the Passover, right? We, we know it now as a, as, a fe as a feast or as a, uh, a, a keeping of the Passover, like a holiday, like a memorial. But we read about the, the actual first Passover last week. And it had to do with that that was the night. That after 430 years, and after all the plagues, and after all the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, and all the rejections, and all the devastation physically that came on Egypt because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart and the plagues, it was that night that the Lord brought him out. He brought him out with blood. He brought him out covered by the blood, so to speak, covered by the blood of the Lamb. Because that was the night of the last plague where uh, the Lord says, I'm going to send my angel throughout all the land of Israel and Goshen where the Israelites lived. They weren't exempt from this plague. They were only exempt if they obeyed the Lord. He says, you do what I tell you to do. This night is a special night. You're going to remember this night. I think it was the 10th of Abib. And it was on that night that they were told to each household, you know the story or the account, 
you kill a lamb. If you can't afford a lamb or don't have a lamb, join with another family. Because everybody's got to do this. Nobody's exempt from this. You kill that lamb. You take kicked up blood. And you apply it to the outside of your door. On the, on the side post and above the door. You get in that house. You stay in that house. You be robed and ready to go. And have the sandals on your feet. You roast that lamb. And eat it with unleavened bread. And the whole family. From little junior all the way up to grandpa. Everybody's going to be there. And you're all going to eat this lamb. Because this night... The angel's going to pass through. And the only thing that spare the people, when I see the blood, Amen. I will pass over. Thank is you. that not a perfect picture the Lord has given us Amen. of salvation through faith in Jesus? Amen. Nobody's any better than anyone else. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yet when Jesus sees, when the Father sees the blood of His Son applied to your heart and my heart, anybody that calls upon the Lord tonight, might smell like cigarette smoke. They might be drunk, uh, reeking of alcohol. And yet, if they're calling on Jesus at that time, save me from my sin. Save me out of this life of living this way. And they're calling on the Lord. That blood is applied. They are saved by grace through faith. They're washed in the blood of Jesus. And when the Lord sees the blood, He passes over. Passing over in this sense is a good thing. Because where He doesn't pass over is bringing death. Death to the firstborn in Egypt, okay, and even to Pharaoh's house. And the Pharaohs called upon uh, Aaron and Moses at midnight and said, go, go. His own son died. The heir to the throne of Egypt died. Go, get out. And the people laid them, laid them down with uh, jewels and, and expensive things. And it's, the Bible says that the Israelites spoiled the Egyptian. Well, it wasn't the Israelites' choice to do that. That was just God's favor to do that. So not only are they being set free from slavery, all those people, that's all they'd ever known. 430 years, none of them had been alive when Jacob first went to Egypt. They All they had known was slavery and slavery and slavery going generations back. And they're coming out of slavery and out of bondage by the power of God, their God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're coming out with laden down with stuff. They were poor. They were slaves. They didn't move up the social ladder, the economic ladder. And they're coming out laden down with burden, with, with gifts. Okay? And so they come out that night. Bible scholars, I've said it a few times, possibly two and a half million Jewish people, Hebrews, coming out. They came out that night and not to go back again. And so they're coming out, and they, they met their first place when they came out. You know, Moses is the leader. I'm sure he's overjoyed. He's also, there's probably a somberness in the same way about it because of the blood that was shed, you know, and, and they had to apply it. Remember I said last week, in some way the Lord is saying, you're not innocent in all of this either. They weren't maybe guilty of the, all the same sins of Egypt. Or Pharaoh, but they were guilty, and if they hadn't put the blood, death would have visited their house. All right, and so they come out, and and Moses is probably thankful and joyful, and their first meeting place is about 15 miles down the road, is Sukkoth, and that's where they stop, and they bake their unleavened cakes, and they rested for a while, and it's we're told here they made their little tabernacle, so to speak, or their booths out of leaves and you know, green branches, 
and they would repeat that as a memorial in, in, in one of the feasts that Israel would keep uh, in the years to come. But this is, this is where it actually was being started. And so the next place they go is to Etham. That's the second stage, and they, it's really at the edge of the wilderness. When I think of Egypt, personally, I picture the, the pyramids and everything, I always see that as being total wasteland, like desert. But right around the Nile River, where they started, where Goshen, remember, it was a place that was good for cattle. Uh, there was green, a lot of greenery there. We talked about the Nile River and, the, and every green thing died and some of the plagues and so forth. So at first, they're in that greenery, and they have branches that are green. They make their little tents to block the sun. But by the second stop, it's really right at the brink of the last little bit of green, and they're getting into the edge of that vast wilderness that they're starting into. And the Bible says, very interesting, that, Mo that Moses brought the bones of Joseph with him when they left Egypt. That's significant, because it's amazing how the Lord works. There's nothing that goes like unnoticed or unimportant. You know what I'm saying? If I was writing this book, the Bible, if a man was writing it, that might be a detail you forgot about or left out. But it wasn't. God fulfills everything. Joseph was one of the original patriarchs, so to speak, that came into Egypt. He came in and became a prime minister. And all the Israelites, 70 souls and all came in. They multiplied, multiplied, multiplied. Then they come into slavery. And he knew when Joseph died, he made mention, when, when, when Israel comes out, because he knew the prophecy, it was a prophecy given to Abraham, I'm going to bring my people, they're going to go into slavery in Egypt, and I will bring them out of slavery from Egypt. And he told them how long it would be, and that he would bring judgment on Egypt for their cruelty, which all of that's going to be, was fulfilled. But he made mention, when you come out, get my bones out of here. Don't leave me. And I know he's spiritually... His spirit would go be with the Lord when he died. It wasn't a question of like anything like that. It was a question of the, to me, faith. It says by faith he made mention, you know, when you leave here, bring my bones out of here. He was showing that he trusted God was going to keep his promise, even if it was that which it was, obviously after he had died. And so Moses is fulfilling that. He's bringing the bones of Joseph with him. And God had surely visited his people. Amen. He had visited his people. Now we're going to talk for, for most of the night tonight about the way that the Lord led his people. And we're going to talk about he got, how he guides his people still today. He led them in a very unique way. We know the, the, the account. And he led them by this pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I don't know how big it was, but everybody, the two and a half million, if there were that many, two to three million, Hebrews, men, women, children, everybody could see. Daytime or nighttime, you could look up from wherever you were. I'm sure it spread out for miles, this group of people. Wherever they were, they could look and see. There's Jehovah. There's God. There's our God. It had to be a great comfort to Moses, who's leading these people, to know he was being led. Mm -hmm. So he could lead the people. Mm -hmm. But... The, the, the historians say that Alexander the Great, you know, this great warrior, he died at a young age, and he was uh, such a conqueror, okay, during his time, and nobody could stand against him. When he was going on his campaigns, 
it says that uh, that wherever he was, like with his vast army of people, if you wanted to know where Alexander was, where his tent was pitched, or when he was getting up to move and go into battle, there was a long, tall pole. I don't know how long. And on top of it was like, I guess it would have been uh, oil, like oil you burn in a lamp, some very combustible material. And he was set on the top of this tall pole, morning, noon, and night. It was burning wherever Alexander the Great was, and this pole was there, and people could look and see. That's where he is. Oh, it's moving now. You know, soldiers, we got to get up and get going. And so, but something way far more uh, great than that happened with the Israelites. Because that man perished. He didn't live. He died at around 30 years old. Something like that. Dead and gone, you know. Um, and yet God didn't take that cloud or that fiery pillar away from the Israelites all through the 40 years. Not just here, they were just, they were just coming to know this cloud, okay, or this fire, and to, to know the Lord. But it remained with them. He remained with them in his presence in that peculiar and wonderful way all through their time wandering in the wilderness. It says, until they crossed the Jordan River and came into the land of Canaan, the promised land, and then his presence sort of hovered over the tabernacle. You know, in that cloud. But after that, he didn't lead them in that way anymore. But he led them for 40 years in this manner. And we're looking at the, the beginning of it. And so uh, it really was a, an amazing thing. And fire would represent the, often represents the presence of the Lord. Okay? When, when the Bible says that when the 120 were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, God, Jesus had promised them, you know, you're going to receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. In Acts chapter 2, they're all gathered together in one accord, praying and seeking the Lord for this promise. And sure enough, God sends the promise because he's faithful to keep his promises. And it was on the day of Pentecost and the, the Holy Ghost came and sat upon them in the form of cloven tongues of fire. And it represented God's power. That fire represented his presence. And so here, here was this pillar of cloud by day. And it would serve uh, a few different purposes. It would, in the daytime, especially when they started moving out into that desert, which most of their journey was through desert, it's the, it would keep the heat off. If it was this huge big cloud, if it was that way, like maybe <clears throat> we could picture in our minds, uh, that it might have provided shade for them where they're not just getting roasted. You know what I mean? Their skin peeling off and blistering so bad out there. And at nighttime, like I said, they could look up from wherever they were. It would provide a certain amount of light and, and just the confidence and the, the comfort to their hearts. Everybody was not godly, okay? But still, when things were going well, they were going well, so to speak. And it brought comfort to their hearts uh, that the Lord was there with them, that God, that the Lord was there with them. And also that, that would, to me would be a symbol of Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world. Jesus fulfilling that. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so all these Old Testament things are, are representative of Christ in so many ways. And God's relationship with men in Christ. And 
uh, he says, he that followeth me shall walk not shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And that's just a wonderful thing. And so let's just look about it, look at it for a moment. Uh, what did what is this teaching us today? The, the pillory cloud and the pillar of fire that led the people. First of all, the Lord leads us today. That that cloud is long since gone. I'm not saying God couldn't do it again. I'm just saying that that cloud is gone. But we have something far better, and the Lord leads us by His Spirit within us. He says, "You have an unction from the Holy One in First John two, and you know all things. You know the Lord. You know what's of God and what's not of God. We know this is God pumping me, and we don't always obey or listen." But he says you have an unction from the Holy One. I believe that's speaking of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives and even the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we have that from the Lord and God, the Lord leads us. And, the, and Christ is our God and he's our good shepherd. He says in, in 1 Peter 2 that, that we have even Christ as our example that we should follow in his steps. Right? And then John 10 about him being the good shepherd, which we've talked about. One thing about being led by the Lord, we ought never, we need to learn, okay? We need to learn by experience never to get ahead of God. Have you ever gotten ahead of the Lord? We have, I have before. You get ahead of God. You see something that is like right biblically and something maybe we think needs fixing. And so we step out maybe on our own to do it, and it wasn't the Lord's timing. We need to learn to wait on God. Uh, it can be, it can be a real disaster to get out in front of the Lord. Moses was a good example. He wanted to deliver Israel when he was 40 years old. God didn't want to use him until he was 80 years old. At 40 years old, he murdered a man, buried him in the sand, and thought for sure all his Hebrew brothers would be so thrilled and understand how God by his hand would deliver Israel, it says. But they didn't understand. And he wasn't prepared. There was pride in his life. There was dealings that God had to do uh, to deal in his life to make him humble and get him to a place where he didn't think he could be the deliverer. That God would be the deliverer. And he did that in the wilderness as a shepherd. At the burning bush, he was like, Lord, I don't speak well, and he's saying all the reasons I can't deliver Israel when he was 80. And God's saying, I'll be with you. I'll be with your mouth. I'll send Aaron to help you. Surely I've seen affliction. I will bring them out. I want to use you to do it. Here's some miracles and signs you're going to be able to do when you go before Pharaoh. But at first he got ahead of God. And then we also don't want to lag behind God when the Lord is saying go. When that pillory, uh, pillar of fire or cloud moved, it was not time to say, well, I really like it here. You got 70 palm trees here and a nice little brook of water. I think I'll stay here. But that wasn't the promised land. Mm -hmm. And we read it as we opened it from Psalm 16, in your presence is fullness of joy. I wouldn't want to be on a nice little oasis of, of clean, cool water under palm trees if my God is 50 miles down the road. Mm -hmm. I want to be where he is. Mm -hmm. Okay, he can send me some more palm trees. And cool water. And manna from heaven. And everything that I need. And he's going to bring me to the promised land he promised. I'm passing through all this wilderness. I'm going to the promised land. And so we don't want to, to lag behind. And what we need to do, y'all, 
is to learn to wait on God. Even though we're getting older and time's passing, and we think for sure, I must have missed God. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm this, this age or that age. And, and yet, if you're really walking with the Lord, don't become impatient. I'm preaching to the choir, okay? I'm preaching to myself. Don't become impatient. We need to learn to wait on the Lord. And then when he says go, go then. Okay? Go then. And uh, Psalm 27, 14, you have to turn there. This is the one where it says, uh, One thing have I desire to the Lord, that will I seek after. Right? I may dwell in the house of the Lord. That psalm ends by saying, Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. It's teaching us to wait, to be led by him. How, what else do we learn from this pillar? Guiding his people. And he said, he never departed. Day or night, that pillar was there. He is our shield. Okay? He's our shield. I want you to turn with me. And I want to look at this verse. And we're going to look at two verses. We're going to go to Deuteronomy 33, 27. Deuteronomy 33, 27. Wonderful scripture here. You might want to just highlight this and, and learn it when, when you're needing this, this comfort. Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say to destroy them. So the eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. One more scripture on this thought. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6 because we're trying to relate it not just to the, the Israelites in the wilderness, but to believers in the 21st century or in the church age. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18. That by two immutable things, unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation or strong comfort who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. He is he's our refuge, okay? Jesus Christ specifically, we don't have time to read old Hebrews 6, but it's speaking specifically about Jesus and that we have fled, so to speak. The sinner has fled to Jesus oh, to yeah. be his refuge from what? Shelter, we sing that song, come and shelter me from sin. A redeemer, redeem my heart again. Uh, he is that shelter from sin. He's shelter from temptation. He's shelter from the wiles and the attacks of the devil. He's shelter from a cruel world. He's shelter from these things. He himself, personally, is not a cloud, it's not fire. It's Jesus Christ who is our, our shelter. Thank you. And so, he's also our light. And we talk about it being the light of the world. If you read John chapter 1, Verse 4, it says, in, in him was light, and the light was the light of men. That is the true light. Speaking about Jesus, which cometh into the world that lights every man. Okay? He's the light of the world. Remember, he doesn't sleep or slumber. And so, uh, he's, he's, and he didn't take that, he didn't take that cloud away. He never took that cloud away from them. And he never takes himself away of his presence from those that have put their trust in him. Never. I know that there's times in your life where you feel like, and that's the key word, feel like, God is not near. I have times in my life like that. 
had some awful times in my life where I have felt like, God, where are you? Where is the answer? Do you see what's going on here? How can you allow this to continue? And yet he's near. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's happening the way he wanted it to happen. And he's trying to teach me something through it. Okay? He's trying to teach me something through it. Now let's look at this. And this will kind of be, like I said, I don't think we'll be quite as long tonight. This is pretty much our last thought for the night. Is that, the, what was the path they took? If you've ever looked at Bible maps, okay, or even just geographical maps of that part of the world. Egypt, and they were traveling east to the land of Canaan, I believe. Is that right? Coming east uh, to go to the promised land. The easiest route would have been through the Isthmus of Suez, okay? But that was a land inhabited by the Philistines at the time. And for, the Lord did not lead them that way. It would have been the easiest route and it would have been a journey, listen to this, of about 100 miles. Now, I know 100 miles on foot is a long way, but it's not unbelievable. You know, if you go walking, in a brisk walk, you know, you could walk four or five miles in, you know, an hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes. You see what I'm saying? And so, uh, they could have made this journey in about... And with the kids and everything and the animals and all, maybe two weeks, give or take, maybe three weeks. They could have gone there just traveling normally, resting in the day and getting up and traveling another 10 miles the next day. That's 10 days, right? And so you think, well, that's, that's the way we'll go. We're going to get to that promised land. God, the Bible says, led them about. Is how it's phrased in the Bible. He kind of led them. You've read the story all over the place. And sometimes they circle back and they're back where they started a year before, a month before. We're going to be reading some of that when we go through, continue our study. But what was going on here, anybody could have seen. Not just Moses, the whole host of Israel could see, this isn't the, this isn't the best way to go to, to, to the promised land. This isn't the way, to go, the way to go to Canaan. What kind of leader do we have? What's going on here? Why is he leading us here? Why is God leading us here? And there are some thoughts, you know, that, that, that are given that God didn't want them to be discouraged by bringing them instantly into a battle. The Philistines were there. The Philistines would have attacked them. They might have lost a lot. I know God could have protected them, but the hearts of the people, let's put it this way, they weren't prepared. The hearts of the people... This would have discouraged them, the Bible says, to bring them out. And now they're kind of just making their nice, easy pace. And all of a sudden they're attacked with their children around and everything like that. And so he purposely led them another way. And that can test our patience because we think I'm going to get from here to here. And it's a good thing. And it may be exactly where God's calling you or what he's calling you to do in school in life and work and ministry, whatever it may be, I'm going to get from here to here. And this is the best way. way. God Certainly God knows this. And yet God leads us some other way. And it takes twice as long. And we're thinking, what's he doing? I can tell you exactly what he's doing. I, mean, I know every detail. I can tell you overall what he's doing. 
He's trying to grow us in Him, teaching us to trust Him, mm -hmm. to hear His voice and respond to that. Not to, well, God, look over here. Here's where I want to go. No, follow that cloud. Follow the, the unction of the Holy Spirit. Follow the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Follow what the Holy Ghost is showing you from the Word of God. Be led by the Lord. That's what He's trying to tell us. And I say it all the time, the safest place to be and the only place you and I want to be is in the presence of God. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be outside of His will. I don't want to be certainly outside of His presence, going off on my own tangent. Certainly God can reel us back in if we'll listen and obey Him. But why do we ever have to depart? Why don't we just stay with the Lord and be where He's called yes. us to be? And so maybe it was very disappointing to them to say, wait, 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 we're going the wrong way, we're going the wrong way. We're out in the desert, it's hot, we got our children, we need to make some tracks here and get on to the promised land. Not only did he lead them a different way, y'all, he, he led them to a, almost like a wedge. He led them to this point where they were closed in. He led them to uh, this specific place where they came, and we're going to know what's going to happen. The Red Sea is going to part. That's next week, okay, or next lesson. And so, but on the one side of them, uh, geographically, was Migdal, and it was an impassable wasteland. You couldn't, you couldn't cross it without dying. It was just too, too vast, okay? So that was on one side of them. On, on the other side was the Red Sea. And on the east of them, would have been basically in front of them, was this other impassable range of mountains, I believe. You couldn't, you couldn't go up these. You can't get through this rocky terrain with all of our kids and all of our stuff. And so they find themselves basically wedged in. And again, we all know the story, so it's kind of, we know where, where the story's going. And we're going to get to that next week, but I want to talk about this and really close with this thought tonight, that oftentimes God will lead you, and He will lead me, and He will lead His people into what looks like impossible situations. Literally, it's like, God, I've stayed up all night and I haven't slept and I've fretted and I'm worried. I see no way out. You know, you've heard people say it's a win-win. You know, uh, we, we see where it's a lose-lose, lose. I don't see any right way out. If I do this, this is going to happen. It's going to be horrible. If I do, if I don't do this, this is going to happen, and it's going to be horrible. I don't see any way out. Have you ever been there? I know you, you've been there before. If not, you will be there. You'll be in some situation. I, I, I spent, being I spent years, recent years in our life in a position where I literally felt trapped. I literally felt trapped like a rat in a cage. And yet I knew God was with me. But I felt trapped. I was like, and it bothered me. I can't tell you how it bothered me. God, don't you see? There's got to be a way. You've got to make a way. I don't see the way out. I don't see the way to do this. I don't see any way. I can still keep my testimony for Christ. Above all, okay? Above all, keep my testimony for the Lord. And I don't see. If I do this, if I say this, 
if I act in this way, uh, I'll get criticized in this sense for that. If I don't do that, then, you know, I'll get criticized in this way. And we've all been in situations like that, okay? I know it, that I've been there. I pray that I've learned. You understand what I'm saying? I pray that I've learned what he was trying to teach me and what he's still teaching me. But I will say that the Lord often leads his children into the most extreme difficulties. That Just like, just like a, a guy, you know, you, you get some guy and he's going to take you out uh, from Egypt to Canaan. They would have not led the people where God led the people. And a natural, and the point is, a natural mind would not have brought them there. But God did. It wasn't an accident. They didn't get off course and get lost, and then God had to bail them out. The cloud led them there. Okay? And so think about it in your life. Sometimes God will lead us to a place where no rational mind, even a rational Christian mind, where we, we wouldn't take ourselves there. I'm not talking about it to a sin. God's never going to lead us into sin. He's going to, he might lead us into what looks like the most impossible situation. And we didn't get there by accident. We got there by, Lord, I'm keeping my eyes on you. I'm following you. I'm following you. And we look up and we see where we are. And why did he lead me here? What a mistake. And all these things start flowing through our mind. And yet it's not a mistake. It's where God has us. And we have a Bible example and probably others if we thought long enough about it. But a Bible example where that's exactly what happened. The cloud led them there. The presence of God led them there. They weren't there by a mistake. And the next day they're going to look up and there's going to be an army chasing them. And they're pinned in. And yet that's exactly where God led them. But you know what, y'all? What is, what is happening is this. I can't say this. I can't say specifically what's happening in everyone's life when that happens. I can't say that the Bible teaching, the, the school of Christ teaching for our lives through it all is this. He is setting up a platform by which he's, he's, from which he's going to deliver us in the most remarkable way to where nobody can take credit, to where you're singing the song of Moses on the back side of it. You understand what I'm saying? Marion and her tambourines, okay? Singing the song on the back side of it. He's setting it up for his glory. And he's setting it up for a lesson. Not a school lesson, a school of Christ lesson. Take my yoke and learn of me lesson to where we are changed and we're never what we were before, even as a Christian. It's an exciting thing. Because we already established, he established from his word, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The cloud departed not from them, not day or night. He didn't take it away from them. And he has not taken himself or his presence or his guidance or his wisdom away from us. And it is a lesson, y'all, when we do learn it, and when he brings about that deliverance, a lesson you will never forget. And you won't need a preacher to tell you and you won't need Moses to tell you. The Holy Ghost in your heart is going to tell you because you know it. And nobody can take it from you. Thank you. Nobody will talk you out of it. Thank you, Jesus. 
And that's what happened with Moses in later years. All this faithfulness of God when the next big thing and they don't have water and the next big thing they don't have food and the next big thing Amalek's attack, attacking them the next big thing the people are rebelling against them more than once or making gold calves and worshiping idols all these big things that we haven't even seen yet he's going to be able to fall back on the faithfulness of God God led him and the Israelites into that place like I said by your own choice if you had taken yourself there it would have been a disaster. But since God brought you there, it's a it's a platform for his glory and for his deliverance and for his salvation. And I'm just closing with this, and you can come. I'm gonna finish with this tonight. It, it, it's a it's all it is and all he requires of us to do when we're in a situation like that is to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That's all he's requiring of us. He required of Moses to lead the people forward and hold up a rod. We'll get on, get on to that in the next lesson. But do you understand the point? What is he requiring of us? All right, I'm boxed in. You may not feel like that right now, but you'll have a time in your life where you do feel like that, and you're in the will of God. And it's not due to rebellion. It's not due to sin or compromise. It's due to the providence of the Lord and how he leads your life, and you find yourself there, and he says, just remember, I'm not leaving you, leaving you nor forsaking you. You still see that pillory cloud? You still see the fire at night? It's all you got to focus on. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Just be still where you are. You're in the right place. And let God bring his salvation. It's the salvation of the Lord. And it's awesome. And if you wouldn't get that lesson any other way. A teacher couldn't teach you and a preacher couldn't preach it to you. You have to learn it as God leads you into it. But these sermons help us, amen? The Word of God strengthens us so we're wise and we understand what the Lord's doing. Would you all just come to the altars and spend our, our time tonight for a few minutes just calling upon the Lord? You might be in a situation like that in the will of God and you need to see that fire. You may be needed to, to get Christ back in view. He's, he's very kind to do that. Lord, I've taken my eyes off of you. I'm in a scary place. Maybe you just came out of it and you want to thank him. You know, or maybe you have family or friends and you want to pray for them. But can you take a few moments to meet with the Lord? That's all the altar time is. Just call upon the Lord. Lord, I want to see that cloud by day. I want to know that you're with me. I want to know that, that Jesus is the light of the world and you're my God even now. I want to see that fire by night, Lord. And I want to trust you. And Lord, I want to stand still and seek your salvation. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. There's not a person here that doesn't need the Lord's guidance, doesn't need his courage and boldness and strength and wisdom. There's not a person here that we don't need our faith strengthened will trust God like Moses. You know, all the Israelites saw the miracles, but they didn't trust God. Moses did. Joshua and Caleb did. For going through a life lesson and say, Lord, help me to learn. 